Well, greetings, everyone, and welcome to Season 3 of Holy Conversations, the WCA podcast. I'm Bob Kaler, and I'm here with my co-host, Stephanie Greenwald, who is bright and shiny this morning as we're <laughs> recording, but it's afternoon in Zimbabwe with our guest, Simon Mafunda, today. But Stephanie, how are things? How was your holiday? Oh, it was a great holiday. Just had a really nice time. Uh, beautiful weather here in Oklahoma. I hope you had a good time in Colorado. How were things there? Well, it was great to have uh, Christmas Eve indoors this year instead of it being 22 degrees. <laughs> right. And we it's hard to believe that was just a year ago. Yeah, we enjoyed we enjoyed a, a quiet Christmas and uh, a great holiday season. And we've gotten back into regular rhythms here in January. And that includes here with the podcast. So Stephanie, introduce our guest for today. Well, I am so excited to introduce our guest, Simon Mafunda. He is the Africa coordinator for the WCA. And Simon, it's just wonderful to have you here with us today. How are you? I'm doing fine. Thank you, Stephanie. Good, good. Well, I want you to tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself and then also your ministry there in Africa as the WCA coordinator. Oh, thank you very much, uh, Stephanie. My name is Simon Mafunda, you put it right, and uh, uh, that, that, that's your first uh, uh, Shona word to pronounce, Mafunda, and you did it very well. Oh, thank good. You. <laughs> thank you very much for that. I, 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 I am a Methodist um, by birth. I was born and bred in the United Methodist Church, and I am proud to be a Methodist. Married with uh, two uh, elderly kids, uh, a son and a daughter, and a granddaughter. And I've served my church for, for quite a while now. Of course, I was born in the church, but uh, somewhere along the line as a young man in college, you know, a lot of stuff happened. And, uh, you know, we we went on the way, way, way outside. But uh, by the grace of God, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, I gave my life back to Jesus um, around 1998 after some horrible stuff happened to me. And I realized it was time I went back to my master and serve. So I, I am I'm married to Hannah. Hana is a nurse by, by profession, by training, but currently she's working for the church as the health board coordinator for the United Methodist Church. Um, we, we are friends, best of friends, and are prayer partners. I've served in different levels of leadership in the church, from the local level to the district to the conference level, and I've served as a conference lay leader for the Zimbabwe East Annual Conference, for 13 years up until December uh, this previous year. And uh, within the region, I have served as a central conference delegate um, uh, since 2012. I've also served as a general conference delegate since 2012. And I also uh, participated at the special general conference of 2019. I've served in the Association of Annual Conference Lay Leaders, and I've been uh, the at-large executive member until uh, uh, recently. So I've met a lot of friends. I've made a lot of connections through that exposure within the United Methodist Church. And I'm I'm a current member of the Standing Committee 
on central conference matters, uh, which is still to give uh, reports to general conference when it meets, hopefully in August, going into September this year. So uh, that's basically who I am. I am passionate about working with people, uh, especially dealing with the marginalized and young people. That's uh, my, my ministry. I, I have a passion to, to work in that ministry. Then as uh, my ministry as the uh, WCA coordinator in Africa, I, I, I joined this ministry in November last year. So it's only a couple of months old now. And uh, it has been quite uh, a challenge to, to, to go into this uh, job coordinating for WCA, but I can promise you that WCA is a natural home for me because its values and its beliefs, they resonate with who I am and largely lean on the conservative side of this whole debate and this whole uh, work that we are in. So I find myself very comfortable working with uh, uh, the Westland Covenant Association. Basically, I am working towards bringing together all those conservative-leaned people within Africa, finding and locating each other as we work towards that common good. We believe we need to stay within that orthodoxy. We need to stay within the conservative interpretation and understanding of scripture. Uh, This is who we are. And that resonates very well with me. And I bet many other Africans and other people in in central conferences. So basically that uh, has been uh, my job so far as a WCA coordinator within Africa. It's not easy when you try to coordinate uh, many people of different uh, geographical locations, different cultural setups and all those things. But it also gives me excitement to see that at the end of the day, uh, we are all God's people, and a lot of us in Africa, we seem to to, to speak the same language. Uh, we only have maybe a challenge of semantics, but I, I believe many Africans are largely traditionalists, so to speak. So that's, that's basically uh, my ministry as a WCA coordinator in Africa. Thank you, Stephanie. Mm-hmm. It's hard to imagine someone more qualified to to speak on these issues and to be our Africa coordinator. So we're so thrilled that you are doing that work. Now, a lot of our listeners, particularly here in the U S are really interested to learn how the Africa, how the church in Africa has grown. So give us a little bit of background on the church in Africa, how the Methodist movement got started there and, and where it stands at the moment. Oh, thank you very much. Um, yeah, I'll go, I'll just give you some bits and pieces of history. I'm not a historian, and I don't want to, to insult the intelligence uh, and integrity of historians and scholars who may be listening. But I will tell you that um, Methodism, particularly when you talk of the United Methodist Church, got to Africa at the tail end of the 19th century, and mainly through West Africa, countries like Liberia. This was the time when uh, people were coming back from captivity during the slave trade, at the end of slave trade, people coming back to Africa. And that's when Methodism was introduced in Africa, 
starting with Liberia in West Africa. And during that time, Bishop, uh, 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 Bishop Taylor was in 1884, was then at the General Conference of the Methodist Episcopal Church, was then appointed the first missionary, missionary bishop of, for Africa or to Africa. That was in 1884, at the tail end of the 19th century. So that's how it all started. And uh, he helped uh, establish churches in Liberia, Sierra Leone, uh, then within Central Africa, at the center of Africa, he established churches in countries then called Zaire. And in the southern part of Africa, where we are, he established churches in Angola and Mozambique. Those are the Portuguese-speaking countries in Africa. And he then retired before the close of the century. And uh, around 1896, when Bishop Taylor retired, uh, Bishop Joseph Crane Hartzell was then elected at the General Conference of 1896 to replace Bishop Taylor, and he then further up the ministries in Africa, uh, establishing the churches in Central Africa within Congo, the, the, demo, the now Democratic Republic of Congo, and uh, many of the British the then British colonies, those were then established by Bishop uh, Joseph Crane Hudson. And it brings now this, uh, we, when we get closer to where I am, when he, he established the ground for the mission within uh, uh, Southern Africa and mainly within now Zimbabwe. And he established the ground for the mission center at the then old, old Amtali mission, where the prestigious African University is sitting now. Mm. So the churches then started growing all over Africa to all those many countries in Africa, uh, establishing churches, thousands and thousands of churches. And we now have millions of Methodists, United Methodist members in Africa. Many mission schools, hospitals, churches, uh, 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 clinics, uh, you name it, a lot of farms, you know, a lot of agricultural establishments have been developed through the efforts of these early missionary, missionary bishops. And up until 1968, when we then had our first uh, African bishop in the name of uh, Bishop Ebo Tendekai Musorewa, who then passed the baton stick to the late Bishop uh, Christopher Jokomo and our current reside, residing bishop, Bishop Iben Kanukai Niwatiwa. That is within, within Africa now. But within all these other, other areas, there has been a chain of other Africans, uh, of other bishops within Africa. And we thank God for the hard work and the commitment of those first missionary uh, bishops who established this work within, within Africa. So that's how this church started and started growing in leaps and bounds. And the Africans grabbed the Christianity and, and really embraced it and believed uh, 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 by it and with it. And up, the, up to this day, of course, we have our own challenges 
of things that are related to our own cultures in our own setups. But we have learned to live with those and manage them and continue to spread the gospel in order for all people to, to know Christ and to, 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 you know, to bring salvation to all people within Africa. So we are so grateful that the church has continued to grow. As, and you, as you may know, Africa remains the one area where Methodism continues to bloom, and we give glory to God for that. Thank you very much. I think that gives generally where we have come from and how we are doing as the church in Africa. The history is so interesting to hear. And and like you said, Simon, uh, really in Africa is one of the amazing places where God continues to revive and, and inspire his church. It's incredible to see the way the spirit is moving there and then to hear about how it all began. So there's a lot of excitement that is um, revolving around the launch of the GMC, uh, but there's also been a lot of uncertainty as we think about what will happen, what won't happen. We're still awaiting a decision about general conference, but can you give our listeners an update on what people in Africa are talking about as we anticipate the separation, but also as we anticipate the launch of the GMC? Um, th- thank you very much, Stephanie. Uh, I, I, can, I can say that there has been quite some anxiety within our people in Africa uh, in anticipation of the amicable separation. Uh, the common talk in Africa, number one, people are trying to understand the two main petitions, according to our people in Africa. They are looking at the two main petitions that are properly before General Conference. That is the Christmas Covenant, uh, which has its main premises on regionalizing the denomination. And within that Christmas Covenant, people seem to have some kind of worry or fear. They interpret it, many of them interpret it as a repackage of the failed one church plan. That's how some people are seeing it, although some are also arguing strongly for it. But a lot many seem to see it as a repackaged one church plan. And when those propagating for the one church plan, try to explain how it will handle the human sexuality issue, which is like the bone of contention right now, they they seem to start a little bit, which gives doubt to those who may want to consider it. So they are trying to understand it better, whether it can be the solution to the challenges that the church is facing. Then on the other side, our people are also talking about the protocol for reconciliation and grace through separation. While a lot uh, uh, are so much into the name issue, because if you talk of the United Methodist Church in Africa, you know it, people are so attached to that name. They love that name. It's like part of them is like the, their DNA. You know, it means a lot to them. Even governments, they are so much attached to all. They have relationships with United Methodist Church because of all the missionary work that has been done and all those things. 
But on the other side, there are those who are also saying, yes, let's understand the repercussions when the separation comes. They are also considering the teachings that they have known for all these years. Because like I told you, Africa is largely traditional. They are largely conservative. So those are the common discussions right now in Africa. People are trying to understand and find the best way forward in terms of where they will end up aligning with or who they will end up aligning with. So they are able to to make a difficult decision between their attachment to the name of the United Methodist Church and their understanding and interpretation of scripture the way they have known it for over a century now. So the common talk is right there. But my assessment so far as I I look at what is happening, there are those who are also saying, if push comes to shove, we would rather go where the real teachings, where the orthodoxy is, where the, 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 you know, the undiluted gospel is according to their traditional understanding, according to that conservative and the traditional interpretation and understanding of scripture. Where they find that is where they say, we will align ourselves with that. But there are also some who are saying, we are also traditionalists, but we, we, we love the name United Methodist Church. So where do we find ourselves? So that, that talk is still going on within Africa. And, uh, and uh, as we are hoping that the General Conference sits in August, going into September this year, we, we are trusting that by the time we get there, many people will have aligned themselves psychologically with a side they believe is the, is the best for them. But I can tell you that a lot of people are now at the point where they can say, if push comes to shove, if we are not able to be where the name is together with the orthodoxy and the traditional understanding and the interpretation of scripture, then we have to make a decision that takes us where the teaching is, although the name may not be there. This is where many people are now going because they they have to make that very difficult decision. And of course, the other talk within Africa is about why don't we become an autonomy? As Africa, we can stick out as an autonomy. We stand on our own and, uh, uh, you know, and and, uh, do ministry the best way we can within our context in Africa as Africans. But there are also those who then come up and challenge them and say, yes, you may want to do that, but uh, is the enabling legislation available now for the upcoming general conference? So then it leaves us with maybe focusing on what is on the table now, what is properly before general conference now, which is the Christmas covenant and the protocol and many other plans that have been submitted, but I'm focusing on these two because these two are the topical ones in terms of our context here in Africa. So at the end of the day, a lot of the traditional Africans are exploring and navigating the protocol for separation and see how best they can place themselves and mainly looking at where the teachings that they have known for these years, for over a century, where will they be placed? 
and they want to be where those teachings are, irrespective of where the name will be. They want to go where those teachings are. And I think that's the, the key talk going on at the moment. But overall, we still have a lot of anxiety and uh, a lot of questions are now coming up. Some who had not read about the protocol, hearing it for the first time, they start to worry about the property. They start to worry about, you know, their, their liturgy, their hymn books, and all those things will they be the same if we go to the new denomination? Are we going to be singing the, the same hymns that we, that, that we used to sing? And all those, all those seemingly small questions, but they are very important for them. So they are seeking assurances that should we go this side to this new denomination, we will have this culture that we have known for all these years. That is the assurance that they want. And once they get that assurance, I'm sure many people do not mind going where their tradition is, but the name is not necessarily there. This is, this is my assessment so far. But of course, there is a lot of talk, a lot of explanations needed, a lot of difficult questions to be answered. But generally, this is how a lot of Africans are, are, are processing these things in their minds. And of course, there are all those who are very strong about the Christmas covenant. There are also some who are very strong, strong about other options that are not even there yet as petitions, but they are also trying to come up with the other ideas that they, they think they are better than either the protocol or the Christmas covenant. So, you know, it's, it's a lot of things happening at the moment. But generally, this is what I think, what I've assessed is uh, kind of happening in Africa at the moment. So, Simon, it seems like we have the same kind of discussions going on in Africa like we do everywhere else, that there's a lot of nuance to these positions as people are thinking about it, and we've had time now to think about it. If we had started General Conference in 2020, a lot of these questions would have gone unanswered, I think. So in some ways, it's been good for people to have an opportunity to think through these things. But I know one of the things that that you're doing as well is working with a group called the Africa Initiative. And can you tell us a little bit about the Africa Initiative? Because people hear about that, what what this group is and what that group has been working on as we await General Conference. Africa Initiative has been primarily focusing on bringing education to the people in Africa and starting with the delegates to to, to general conference, central conferences, and the general membership and leadership of the church to understand the key legislation that is before general conference. And uh, just to name the protocol, of course, the Christmas covenant, and all those that are that will be presented to general conference. And our interest has been focusing on the two, the Christmas covenant, and mainly the protocol. Of course, you may have read a lot of articles where is African initiative we bemoaned uh, uh, we we bemoaned the 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 a lot of unfair items that we find in the protocol when it was first released. But with time, we, we navigated it and eventually felt that of all the key petitions that related to restructuring and uh, uh, separation and, and all those things, we believe that the protocol is one of the best. So we then put our voice behind the protocol. We started supporting it, that it resolves the problems that we've been facing as a denomination. 
So we are helping now people to understand the protocol, the legislation that is in there, and what it means, its impact on the church in Africa and all those things. So generally, we are, are, are focusing on bringing education to the people, or trying to bring debating groups together and understand each other as we navigate uh, this issue. I think that that has been our key uh, issue is Africa Initiative. And I'm one of the coordinators within Africa Central Conference to say, oh, conferences within Africa, let's bring our heads together. Let's understand this. What will be the impact? Is there anything that we can try and renegotiate? Is it negotiable within the protocol? If it is not, how do we navigate it? How do we safeguard what we think we mustn't lose? Even if we are going to separate and go traditional, what do we need to safeguard and carry with with us as we go into the new dispensation? Should we go that direction? So that has been our main focus is Africa Initiative, uh, bringing people together, teaching them about the protocol, helping them understand it, and um, preparing delegates so that when they go to general conference, they will know how to debate, how to, you know, uh, uh, push through, uh, whether they are amendments or whatever that that's needed, but they will be an important voice and participation on the conference floor when it happens. So that has been our, our, our primary task, you know, during this uh, period as we count down towards general conference 2022. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's impressive to me that the Africa Initiative has taken uh, such an intentional approach to help answer the questions of the people of Africa and other of the central conferences in order to help them say, here are the things that are important and here are the things that you need to understand while making this very important decision. So it's impressive to me that the Africa initiative has done that. We want to thank you for your work in that as well. And also, as we are looking at a general conference, hopefully happening here soon, the WCA has also had a recent initiative to help uh, delegates from Africa get vaccinated so that they might gain entrance into the United States for general conference. So I'm curious for you to tell our listeners what the response has been for the people that you are in contact with in Africa to this recent initiative. Uh, uh, Thank you very much, Stephanie. The, The general response from the people I am in contact with, they are very grateful Uh, to this gesture because they have understood. I know there are others that have uh, misinterpreted us and they have really, uh, 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 you know, taken the the whole thing in the wrong direction. But I want to explain this from the lens of those who have understood us as WCA. WCA is coming in to try and take care of a hurdle put in front of us, not by the church, but by the government of, an, of America. The inoculation is a requirement by the government of America for now, until maybe they remove it. But as we understand it, you have to be vaccinated if you have to travel or to cross the borders into the United States of America. So as WCA, they come up, came up and said, guys, this is the problem that is there. General conference is very important for the United Methodist Church, for us delegates, for everyone. Whether you are, it doesn't matter which side of the aisle you are, 
general conference is important. We have to meet and transact our business as general conference. And most so with this very uh, hot issue that has been that 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 has been we have been grappling with for all these years. So as WCA, we we, we are looking at this as people have understood that WCA is not providing vaccines. That must be loud and clear. WCA is not forcing anyone to be vaccinated. That must be heard loud and clear. WCA is saying there are some people within the world, not just Africa or just Central Conference, elsewhere, if there are people who are having challenges getting physically getting to the center where the vaccination is done, why don't we help those people get there? Because one, they are willing to be vaccinated. It's their choice. Because one, they are a delegate, and two, they are willing to be vaccinated in order for them to participate in the general conference. Because if they don't get vaccinated, naturally they get disenfranchised. So we are saying we don't want anyone to be left out and fail for simply failing to get transport and boarding fee for them to be vaccinated. So WCA then came up with this initiative. We said, no, we can try and provide help. And for all you care, WCA went out of their way to approach even GBGM. Groups like the Commission on General Conference itself was approached with this idea. Other, other groups like the, the, the progressive groups, they were approached with this idea to show that we are very transparent. We need this to happen. People must come to General Conference. We should do the business that we are supposed to do. So in all fairness... I, 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 I think it was a good gesture. And from the people that I have spoken to, that I'm in contact with, they are surprised that, you know, WCA is being denigrated for having done that. And, and I'm sorry to say other people have even raised issues of colonialism in that. I, I, I find it difficult to believe that, you know, this is how far it has been taken. Because it reminds us and it, it then it kind of opens a lot of wounds if you want to start to talk about colonialism on this matter that I thought was a good gesture and a genuine gesture. Because the idea, if it wasn't genuine, then obviously I don't think WC was going to approach even progressive caucus groups. But we were saying despite you know which side of the debate you are, these are general conference delegates who are supposed to come and help make a decision on general conference issues. So why don't we help remove this hurdle? Because it's not of their making. And besides the, the vaccination, there is still the, the PCR test to be done, the COVID test. Before you board the plane, you've got to go through a test and there is money that has to be paid. So if some delegates don't have that money, I believe it is supposed to be the duty of the Commission on General Conference to help all those delegates to be able to attend the General Conference. The, the Commission on General Conference has the fiduciary duty to make General Conference happen and not the reverse. So, so I, I really believe it was a, a good gesture. And from those that I've been in contact with, they've been very appreciative of that gesture, that it is a people needed it and it will help them be able to meet the requirements of crossing the borders into the United States of America. I, I really, <laughs> I was talking with some friends and saying, it's unfortunate that uh, uh, a lot of our friends, like in the United States, 
they have never attended general conference outside America. If, if one day we were going to say, you guys, we have changed like, like this August one, assume something happens, then we say we are changing the venue now. Now we are going to be having the general conference in Africa. So all the delegates in America have to have passports. And I can tell you, as some of the delegates who could be listening to me now, they may not have passports. Because they never had the need to travel beyond American borders. And now they have to start applying for passports, starting to apply for the visas, and having to go for the PCR tests, and having to go for the inoculation. Because African countries may also put the requirement that if you are having to come here, you must be inoculated. So, so this is the stuff that Africans and other Central Conference delegates have to go through. And when people stand up to say, nay, let us help this section and relieve the pressure on them, people take that as uh, colonialism. Oh, boy. I, I, I don't understand that. But anyway, a lot of people are appreciating that. And uh, I've spoken to many people within Africa. We, uh, we connect, we talk. And after the noise that has been made down a little bit, and understand that this was a genuine move. And if general conference happens uh, or the commission makes a decision to have general conference sit in August, then obviously that requirement will still stand. Whether people think it's colonialism or not, the requirement will still stand unless the American government lifts it. Then that will be a different story altogether. But uh, many people are appreciating it, appreciating, and, um, and personally, I appreciated it because I'm part of WCA, and when the idea was muted, muted I was I was there. I knew what was happening. I, I could I could I, I had the feeling I could peep. I hear the people in my heart, not by my ears. That no, this is a genuine move. Why don't you help and remove this error for the people? And it was not meant for Africans only. It was meant for all those outside of the United States who are meant to meet with this hurdle. And if they need that help, it was made available. So in all fairness, it was a genuine gesture, and many of our people are appreciating it, irrespective of those, despite the fact that some are saying that a thing. But I can promise you that a lot of respected people within Africa are appreciating that gesture. Thank you very much. That's really helpful to hear. And I also want to add that it wasn't just WCA, it was some of our other uh, partners like Good News and the IRD who have also contributed to this initiative. And people can still contribute to this initiative through the WCA or or one of those other uh, uh, groups and, uh, and help to fund this uh, as it continues to go on. Um, I, I want to really thank you for this time Simon, you've been you've been amazing in giving us a, a great background on on what's happening in Africa. Tell us a little bit about what you're excited about for the coming year and what you're going to be doing as we get closer to general conference. And then, what concerns do you have? Uh, th- thank you very much, uh, Bob. I think my excitement mainly is in the fact that a lot of people, especially from this side, the other side of the world are really getting to understand the depth of the issue before us. And they are getting now to ask the important questions that matter, that really affect the integrity of their faith. 
and uh, they are now asking the right questions, which will help them make the right decision. That really gives me excitement. And the idea that I am also part of those plans to reach out to people and explain that this is what we have. We are not just saying people, no, we are not just like uh, uh, trying to, 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 to hoodwink people into believing that the traditional side is the best one. No, 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 that's not the idea. We want them to understand what the protocol means. When they understand what the protocol means, they must then understand what it means to remain in the post-separation United Methodist Church and what it means to be in the envisaged traditional denomination. This is what is very important for us. And once they do that, especially in Africa, it will be very easy for them to make a decision. And be them being traditionalists, I can promise you it will be much easier for them to make a decision. And like I told you earlier on, as Africa Initiative, we added our voice and our support of the protocol. And us being largely traditionalists, we feel we want to be, we need to be where our tradition is, where our uh, where the old pathway is, where the orthodoxy is, where the undiluted gospel of Jesus Christ is, that's where we want to be. And then, of course, uh, 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 sometimes I, I fear I fear parting with friends. Separation, obviously, always brings some kind of anxiety, some kind of fear that, uh, you know, but I pray that even besides separating, it's just separating in uh, how we do ministry, but we still remain friends. Ecumenism doesn't go away. We continue to be friends, even in our differences, we continue to be friends. But the only fear I have mainly for those outside America, like in central conferences, is that the message or the teaching must get to the last person, even in the deep rural Africa, they must get the understanding. In their own language, we got hundreds, thousands of languages in Africa. In their own language, those old people, some who may not be able to read, who never managed to read books, but they are devoted Christians. This message must get to them and they must understand it in their language. That gives me a bit of fear that a lot of people may, may be maybe put pushed aside a little bit, will be disadvantaged because of where they are. They don't have uh, internet. They don't have a uh, uh, good network even for, for WhatsApp. Or There are those small niches within the connection where I worry that they may not get the message as some of us are getting it. That gives me a bit of worry. But we pray that when separation happens, all those people will understand what the protocol means, what it means to stay in the post-separation UMC, and also what it means to be in the traditional denomination. That is very important for me, and we pray that all those people will get to understand it. And at the end of the day, we pray to God and trust that general conference will still happen. We are getting encouraged by many other large gatherings that are happening right now. People are already planning for, for, for April gatherings, big gatherings, international gatherings. People are planning for June, July, and going down. So I, I believe that will also help us plan for August. It's even further down. I was, uh, I was watching on television the uh, Miss Universe, which was hosted by Israel recently. There were thousands of people, you know, gathering there, and the business was going on. 
the world is not as at a standstill right now. Things are happening. Business is going on. I was looking at uh, the United Kingdom. You know, soccer fans are, are filling up, uh, you know, soccer arenas, uh, watching soccer there, and things are happening. So the world is not as at a standstill. People are still finding ways to do business. And I believe the United Methodist Church will find ways to make sure that General Conference 2022 indeed happens. Yes, the pandemic is still here, but business is still going on at the same time. So we can also do it if others are doing it. Why not United Methodist Church? The business of God, the business of the church is very important, and we need to sit down and do it. That's my thinking, and we are praying about it. Thank you, Bob. That is so wonderful, Simon. What a joy it has been to have you here today. Thank you for your work in ensuring that so many wonderful things happen. And I just want to end with a quote that you said just a few moments ago that we want to be where the undiluted gospel of Jesus Christ is. What a great word that is for us. And thank you. Thank you for being with us and thank you for your work. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you, Bob. Thank you very much. Greatly appreciated and God bless you. Well, we encourage you to send us your questions at podcast at wesleyancovenant.org. You can also find out more about the African Initiative and all the things that are happening, all the news that's uh, fit to print and to disseminate. You can find on the WCA website at wesleyancovenant.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at WCA Pod. And we're really grateful to Simon and for all of our guests. We're going to be having a little bit of an international flair here for the first part of season three as we talk to some of our our folks in different parts of the world. But we look forward to having you back here next time again for Holy Conversations, the podcast of the Wesleyan Covenant Association. We'll see you then.